Good morning and welcome to the Proactive IT Cybersecurity Daily number 411. It is Thursday, August 5th, 2021. I'm your host, Scott Gumbar, and can you trust your employees? This podcast is brought to you by Nuage Tech, a client-focused and security-minded IT consultant based in Central Connecticut. You can visit us at nuagetech.com. That's N-W-A-J-Tech.com. It's Thursday, August 5th, 2021. Summer is winding down. The week is winding down. Everything is winding down. Days are getting shorter, noticeably shorter at this point. Good times. Good times to be in America. Good times to be in the northeast part of the country. All fun stuff. Wherever you listen to this, if you could like, share, comment, or review, that would be spectacular. And if you're in a HIPAA-compliant business, you can go to Facebook and or LinkedIn, type Get HIPAA Compliance into the search and join the group. All right, let's jump into it. Um, first up, there is a, an update for Google Chrome. So if you use Google Chrome at all, which the majority of us do, you should be on 92.0.4515.131 across all operating systems. You can go all desktop operating systems, I should say, so not necessarily mobiles. If you go to the three dots on the top right, and then help and about Google Chrome, you'll see what uh, version you have, and then it will also begin the update automatically. I am calling about your car warranty. We've all joked about this. There's memes all over the place about this. But is there a very serious consequence to this phone call? This is on Threat Post. Black Hat researchers created 300 fake identities, signed them up on 185 legit sites, then tracked how much the sites used sign-up PII, which is personally identifiable information, to pester the accounts. When you sign up on a new website, where does that information go? Some researchers decided to find out. On Wednesday, they released their preliminary information at Black Hat USA. 2021 session called Use and Abuse of Personal Information. Researchers created 300 fake identities, signing them up on 185 legitimate websites ranging from Target to Fox News with each identity used on a single website. Then they tracked how many email messages, phone calls, text messages, and other responses were received based on the personally identifiable information used to register. Those email messages and phone calls add up to a lot of wasted time, researchers said. On average, signing up for on a website creates responses resulting in an hour of wasted time due to distractions and some websites created up to 20 hours of distraction. The researcher, the research was performed by the Hume Center for National Security and Technology at Virginia Polytechnic Institute and State University in Blacksburg, Virginia. Researchers presenting at Black Hat were Alan Michaels, Director of Electronic Systems, and Kieran George, who at the time was a graduate student. Said they were, researchers said they were surprised by some of the results. For example, they found most of the companies hoarded the PII rather than selling it to other organizations. Only 10 of the 300 accounts showed indications of shared data, though there was some degree of cookie scraping, particularly with Twitter and TikTok. Researchers also found that sites best at detecting fake accounts were Facebook, which I can confirm, which detected six out of eight fake accounts right off the bat and detected the other two within a week, and WeChat, which required a legitimate Chinese phone number. 
Moreover, the interest from non-U.S. companies was primarily associated with Black Friday shopping rather than with politics. What wasn't a surprise, the sort of phone calls the fake identities received from vehicle warranties to social security scams to free hotel rooms. A team of students also read the privacy policies of the sites to which the fake identities signed up. They created a 50-item rubric to track the quality of the privacy policies and how well the sites themselves followed the policies. Interestingly, there wasn't much of a correlation between the amount of material sent and the quality of the privacy policies, Michael said. What that means is the lawyers aren't talking to the computer scientists. The university has created an open source data set of the researcher or the of the research, sorry, that's available at GitHub if you're interested, that contains the raw data, sixteen thousand four hundred and thirty six email messages, three thousand four hundred and eighty two phone calls, nine hundred and forty nine voicemails, and seven hundred and seventy four text messages, as well as three hundred fake identities. 171 privacy policies with scoring rubrics and the scripts and tools used for automating analysis. The Hume Hume Center Center is now planning a further test with 50,000 to 100,000 fake identities with automation to give the fake identities the ability to respond to the messages they receive. Michael said because the 300 identity test was only passive, that is, the accounts didn't respond to any of the email messages, phone calls, or text messages they received, the messages gradually trailed off over time so i'd be curious to see which of those fake accounts created the most in the way of these phone calls and so forth Um, but this article doesn't say and i don't know if it's if it's part of the research paper that's on github on the hacker news several malware families targeting iis web servers with malicious modules a systematic analysis of attacks against microsoft's internet Information services servers has revealed as many as 14 malware families, 10 of them newly documented, indicating that Windows-based web server software continues to be a hotbed for natively developed malware for close to eight years. The findings were presented today by ESET malware researcher Zuzuna Haramkova at the Black Hat USA Security Conference. Various find, the various kinds of native IIS malware identified are server-side malware, and the two things it can do best is f- first see the intercept and intercept all communications to the server, and second, affect how the requests are par- processed. Romkova told in an interview with the Hacker News, these motivations range from cybercrime to espionage and a technique called SEO fraud. So that's some interesting stuff. I don't know... I personally do not have any businesses that use IIS, though I have worked in environments that have used it. Here are some of the malware families that um, that exist. So group one, IIS raid, backdoor and info stealer. Group two, backdoor. Group three, backdoor. Group four, RG doors, backdoor. Group five, info stealer. Group six, info stealer. Group seven and eight, backdoor. I, I don't know what the groups mean. They're listed here by groups, um, and it goes up to 14. And then you so you have two, you have a few that are SEO fraud, which I find interesting, of course. Um, and then there's definitions here: backdoor mode, remotely controlled or compromised computer with IIS installed, info stealers, exactly what it sounds like, intercept regular traffic between the co- compromised server and its legitimate visitors to steal information such as login credentials and payment information. Injectors mode, modify HTTP responses sent to legitimate visitors to serve malicious content. Proxy mode, turn on, turn the compromised server into an unwanted or an unwitting part of a 
command and control infrastructure for another malware family and relay communication between victims and the actual command and control server. In SEO fraud mode, modify the content served to search engine crawlers in order to artificially boost ranking for selected websites, um, which a lot of SEO people would tell you is how you do it, whatever that's worth. On Bleeping Computer, Energy Group ERG reports minor disruptions after ransomware attack. Italian Energy Group ERG reports only a few minor disruptions affecting its information and communication technology infrastructure following a ransomware attack on its systems. While the Italian Renewable Energy Group only referred to the incident as a hacker attack, La Repubblica reported that the attack was coordinated by the LockBit 2.0 ransomware group. LockBit ransomware gang started operating in September 2019 and announced the launch of LockBit 2.0 ransomware as a service in June of this year. There was no downtime after the attack. Um, so it sounds like they had their ducks in a row and were able to prevent any major problems. But again, that is the target, one of the big targets for ransomware gangs. So expect more. Expect some here in the U.S. probably. On Bleepy Computer, Cisco fixes critical high-severity pre-auth flaws in VPN routers. Cisco has addressed pre-auth security vulnerabilities impacting multiple small business VPN routers and allowing remote attackers to trigger a denial of service condition or execute commands and arbitrary code on vulnerable devices. The two security flaws tracked to CVE 2021-1609, which is a 9.8 out of 10, and 2021-1602, which is an 8.2 out of 10, were found in the web-based management interfaces and exist due to improperly validated HTTP requests and insufficient user input validation, respectively. Um, so the 1609, the more severe of the two, impacts RV340, 340W, 345, 345P, dual-WAN gigabit VPN routers. And the 1602, which is the less severe one, but still pretty severe, RV160, 160W, 260, 260P, RV260W, all VPN routers. So if you have any of those routers in your environment, you should apply the updates that are available right away, the patches. Lockbit ransomware recruiting insiders to breach corporate networks. We, s we have seen some of this over the last few years, not a lot that gets reported. I'm sure there's more that's not getting reported, but the biggest case that I can remember was Tesla where somebody from Russia offered an employee $1 million to help them breach and the employee instead went to back to the company and told them what was going on. So good for him. Um, but it's, this is something, you know, not everybody's going to do that. Lockbit 2.0 ransomware gang is actively recruiting corporate insiders to help them breach and encrypt networks and return the insiders promised million dollar payouts. Many ransomware gangs operate as a ransomware as a service, which consists of core group of developers who maintain the ransomware and payment sites and recruited affiliates who breach victims networks and encrypt devices. Any ransom payments that victims make are split between the core group and the affiliate with the affiliate usually receiving 70 to 80% of the total amount. However, in many cases, the affiliates purchase access to networks from other third party pen testers rather than breaching the company themselves. So it's just a big chain of people. It's not hacking going on. So, you know, hacking, it's more, I don't, I don't even, wouldn't even call it social engineering, but, um, hacking would be, you find a vulnerability, you exploit the vulnerability, you get in, which does happen, and it happens a lot. But here we're talking about people who are 
just compromising because they know something internally and um, it results in a ransomware attack and they're just looking to make a few dollars. Um, in June, the LockBit ransomware operation announced the launch of their LockBit 2.0 ransomware as a service, which we just talked about. This relaunch included redesigned Tor sites and numerous advanced features, including automatically encrypting devices on the network via group policies. With this relaunch, LockBit has also changed the Windows wallpaper placed on encrypted devices to offer millions of dollars for corporate insiders who provide access to networks where they have an account. So in other words, if you're an employee, you may be offered millions of dollars to um, help them access and in, access internally, uh, internal stuff, data, access to the servers, whatever. And actually it does talk about the attempt on Tesla last year. Um, but he, the employee, to his credit, didn't take the $1 million, so good for him. And we do have some HIPAA news. Academic Health Plans, Inc., has, an, has discovered an unauthorized individual has gained access to the email accounts of two employees following responses to phishing emails. Again, that means there's no phishing mitigation in place. Multiple accounts is always bad news because that means multi-factor authentication is not on and the training is not there. HP was alerted to potential breach when suspicious activity was detected on on its Microsoft Office 365 email environment. The affected accounts were secured and an investigation was launched to determine the extent of the breach. On June 4th, AHP determined that the email accounts were compromised as a result of phishing attacks between August 6th, 2020 and August 24th, 2020. And on October 2nd, 2020, the breach was limited to those two accounts and did not involve any other systems. Um... I don't know. It says on June 4th of this year is when they determined the email accounts were compromised, but that they were actually compromised last year in August and October. So I don't know if that means that people were in those accounts the whole time. A comprehensive and time-consuming programmatic and manual review was conducted to identify the individuals and information affected. That review confirmed that the email accounts contained information related to student health plans, AHP administrators. The exposed data... Or includes the normal stuff, dates of birth, social security numbers, health insurance member numbers, claims info, diagnosis and treatment info. No evidence was found that suggested any emails, attachments, and accounts were actually viewed. Affected health plans and self-insured universities were notified between June 21st and July 7th, and HP started sending notification letters to affected individuals on June 29th. Uh, so now they've offered extensive training, of course, and it uh, doesn't say, it just says, um, existing security measures have been enhanced. So probably turning on multi-factor authentication, 2,330 individuals affected. Wayne County Hospital in Cordon, Iowa, is alerting 2016 patients about the potential theft of some of their protected health information. On March 22, 2021, the hospital became aware of a breach of its email environment. Email accounts were immediately secured to prevent further unauthorized access, and a third-party cybersecurity company was engaged to investigate the breach and determine the extent of the attack. The investigation revealed unauthorized individuals had gained access to email accounts, plural, as a result of employees responding to phishing emails. So same thing here. And of course, they've taken steps to prevent that happening in the future. Ventura, California-based Community Memorial Health Systems and, and Ithaca, New York-based Cayuga Medical Center and Allentown, PA-based Lehigh Valley Health Network have been affected by a cyber attack at a vendor used by one 
of one business associate. The three healthcare providers used Guidehouse for medical billing and collection services on January 20th. Hackers gained access to the Acelion file transfer appliance, so this is a result of the Acelion vulnerability, which was used by Guidehouse for transferring files to clients. And um, so you, if you've listened to podcasts at all or involved in the cybersecurity world, you're probably familiar. The Acelion file transfer appliance was legacy, it was not updated, and it was vulnerable and was compromised and hit with a ransomware attack. So the victims of that continue to come forward. Um, I don't see numbers, so I'm not sure how many people were affected. But um, the numbers continue to climb based on that. And that is going to do it for this edition of the Product of IT Cybersecurity Daily. So until tomorrow, stay healthy, stay safe, and stay secure.